0: God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for uh, that uh, evident power at work in, uh, in YFC camps through the lives of the leaders and the uh, students who came. We thank you uh, more than anything for a new life in Christ. And we, we pray for these little baby Christians now, these new believers that you would continue to uh, put people in their lives to disciple them. We thank you for the relationship that they have uh, with their local leaders and pray that you continue to strengthen those leaders to be able to pour into their lives. Uh, God, it is, it is no small thing that you have called your people to be ambassadors for, for your name in the world. What a great joy, what a great uh, privilege. I pray that you'd continue to bless that ministry. And, and as we look at, at our responsibility in that. I pray that we would be people of prayer, that we would be lifting up camp uh, every single summer, every single session, that we'd be praising you for the great things that we hear. I, pr- I pray for, for Molly and for her family again this morning that you would continue to give them the, the hope and joy of the Advent season, that this Christmas season in particular would be a, a refreshing and renewing time for them, that you'd give them uh, great times together as a family. And now as we prepare to open your word this morning, I pray that you would send your spirit to open our hearts to the message that you have for us and and sharpen our minds, renew us as we read your word together to be your people in this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. I met a woman named Sharon when I was working as an intern at a church in the Chicago area, and Sharon was a wonderful person. Uh, she really was. It seemed like she was always uh, helping others, always thinking of ways that she could make someone else feel special. Uh, she worked as an occupational therapist, and, and so uh, in that position, she was able to help a lot of people, and in particular uh, she did a lot of work with people with cognitive and physical disabilities. And this was very personal to her. Her, her own daughter had cerebral palsy, and so this was a matter of, of her own heart, something that was very close to her. And it seemed like she was always serving uh, but she had been do- diagnosed with a brain tumor. And by the time they found it, there was really nothing that could be done. So by the time I met her, she was confined to a wheelchair living in a convalescent center. She had lost the use of, of one of her hands, uh, one of her arms, completely, and the other was starting to go as well. She really couldn't care for herself at all. So Sharon was a woman who had lost everything. After the diagnosis, her husband couldn't deal with it, and he ended up leaving her. And her daughter, whom she'd always cared for uh, so well, uh, she wasn't able to care for her anymore, and her daughter had to go to a different uh, home. And so she rarely got to see her as well. She lost her house. She lost her ability to care for herself. Really, she had nothing left, and there was nothing that anybody could do to help her. Sharon's situation was totally and completely hopeless. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to be people who bring good news This is the the foundation of who we are, right? This is our great uh, joy. This is the commission that Jesus has given us to, to be people who bring good news everywhere that we are. But how do we do that with a situation like Sharon's, where there's no hope? What is good news for Sharon? How can there be good news for her? I'm going to come back to her story in a minute. Today is the start of the season of Advent, where we get to uh, celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world. And in this Advent season, we're going to spend uh, looking at the life of Jesus and see why Jesus' coming is such good news for us. And in particular, we're going to see how Jesus stops to address individual needs throughout his ministry. So he's preaching to thousands, he's healing dozens and dozens. And in the midst of this really busy ministry, we see him stop to address this one woman, address to stop this uh, one man, to bring them good news in the midst of all this busyness. So today we're going to see that Jesus came for the hopeless, and we're going to look at a passage that has two uh, powerful stories in it. So go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. We'll look at verses 21 through 43 together. Mark 5, 21 to 43. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one from the pew rack. It's found on page 995, Mark chapter 5. So there's two stories here that are going to make that point that Jesus came for the hopeless. Uh, The first story is the story of Jairus' daughter, and this starts with Jesus in a particularly busy season of ministry. He's been traveling all over the region of the Sea of Galilee, kind of his home uh, region, and his ministry has been powerful. He has healed people. He has shown uh, that he has the ability to, to bring the great news of God and God's kingdom to the surrounding area. And crowds are just gathering to him. They hear about what he's done. They, they want to be close to him. They want to experience his teaching. They want to see what this power is all about. And so he goes to the side of the lake and this crowd uh, swarms him. And then suddenly a, an urgent need arises. Verse 21, Now, Jairus, the man who's making this request, he's noted as uh, one of the leaders of the synagogue. So he is an important uh, kind of religious person, religious leader in the, the local gathering of God's people there. But he throws off any sense of his own honor or dignity, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. This is how desperate he is. His little girl is dying, and this is the only thing he can think of to do. And so we've got Jesus with a whole crowd around him, a whole crowd full of needs, and he has one sick girl who needs him. And so immediately he goes with Jairus. And the whole crowd is following along. This is an urgent request. This is an opportunity for Jesus to show his ability to heal. The girl is about to die, and and so we're kind of caught up in the action here. What is going to happen? Is Jesus going to be able to get there in time? Is he going to be able to save her life? But before we can even hear the outcome of that story, we get an interruption, and a second story comes and overtakes the first one and becomes at the center stage. Here's what happens when Jesus is on his way to heal that girl, eager crowd rushing alongside of him, verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, and yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So there's this woman in the crowd, and she is totally and completely hopeless. If this little girl situation is more urgent, this sick woman situation is, is a long-term suffering. She's been sick as long as this little girl has been alive. Twelve long years. And Mark, as he tells this story, is really emphasizing how bad this situation was. She's been going to this doctor and that doctor. And if you read about medical practice during this time, you know that they would have had her do all sorts of bizarre different things. And she's suffering under this treatment and that treatment. And it's not getting better at all. In fact, instead of getting better, it's actually getting worse. And she's spent all of her resources on trying to find some some kind of healing, some kind of cure for this thing. And rather than seeing any improvement at all, it's just worse and worse and worse. And not only that, but with a condition that she had of constant bleeding, she would have been uh, probably a social outcast in her community as well. Because from a Jewish perspective, a bleeding person would have been considered unclean. And so at a minimum, she would not have been able to participate in the, the worship of the local gathering of God's people. And it's possible that she would have been ostracized in the community as well. So you can, you can imagine the situation that she was in. It's a totally hopeless situation, and there's simply nothing that anyone can do to help her. And yet she's heard about Jesus. She has heard that he is a powerful, holy man, and, and she thinks that Perhaps, just maybe if she reaches out and just touches the the edge of Jesus' clothes, then then maybe power would transfer from Him to her and and she would be healed. And she doesn't dare address Him. She doesn't dare ask for Him to do anything for her. She just kind of sneaks up behind Him in the crowd and and touches His clothes. And we learn in just a brief little verse, an amazing thing happens. Immediately, she's healed. Just with that, without Jesus even turning to address her, Her bleeding stops and she knows it. I mean, can you imagine how full of relief she is? Twelve long years of suffering, totally destitute because she has used all of her resources on trying to get better, lost every single ounce of hope possible. And here she is finally free of this. Her misery has ended. There is relief for her. At the beginning of this month, uh, several weeks ago, I started to get sick. Um, Not a a big deal, just a common cold, very uh, uh, kind of uh, normal sort of thing, right? Uh, And over the course of uh, three or four weeks, it moved from my chest and congestion and coughing all that up to my sinuses and and clogging that whole thing up, but I won't describe all the gross details for you. But um, I have to admit that uh, I, I'm really bad when it comes to colds. Uh, we we kind of joke in my family about the difference between when Emily gets a cold and when I get a cold. Uh, when my wife gets a cold, she just continues on with everything as if it's normal uh, and has to go through a few Kleenexes. When I get a cold, it just totally devastates me, and I feel like the, the, en- the world is ending, and I'm miserable, and I'm complaining, and I'm whining, and I'm just ready to give up. Uh, so this time I finally got into the doctor. Uh, and uh, ended up going to uh, get some uh, medication from the store. And and while we were there, uh, Emily waited with the kids in the car, and and our two-year-old asked, uh, where's daddy? And Emily told him that I was getting medication, and he promptly responded by saying, oh, does he have a man cold? (laughs) Yeah, yep, yep, so he has a man cold, that's true. Uh, Now, I don't say that to, to minimize the situation here, and to say, hey, I had a a cold for three weeks, so I understand what 12 years of suffering is like. Actually, quite the opposite of that. I think if, if that's how I respond with such a minor, such a very insignificant and brief illness, can you imagine how much... More, This woman suffered 12 years of absolutely no hope for healing and getting progressively worse and worse and worse. It must have been a tremendous source of relief to understand that she was finally healed. She was finally well. Except something terrible happens. She gets caught. Verse 30, at at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, the woman wanted healing. She was so desperate for for healing that she did the only thing that she could think of. But but she didn't want to disrupt. She didn't want to get in the way. She didn't dare ask for Jesus' attention. She just kind of wanted an anonymous healing. And yet Jesus here stops the whole processional. Now, remember, Jesus is on a mission here. This is an urgent matter. That little girl is dying. He needs to rush out there and and, and get to her so that he can heal her before she dies. She's on her deathbed right now. But rather than pressing on as fast as he can, Jesus stops. And of course, there's no sense in asking his question, who touched me? Well, his disciples remind him how ridiculous the question is. Verse 31, you see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. See, there's no sense in stopping this urgent rush of a crowd to figure out who might have touched Jesus. Everyone is touching Jesus here. But Jesus just ignores the question and keeps on looking. Well, at this point, the woman knows that she's been found out, so she fearfully and reluctantly steps forward. Verse 33, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." I love what Jesus does here. That This woman is, is terrified. She didn't feel worthy of Jesus' attention. She didn't want any attention. And Jesus is stopping this whole urgent rush to the house of one of the most prominent people in town to help out one of the lowest people in town, this destitute, unclean woman with no hope for a cure. Jesus stops everything, and, she makes, and he makes sure that she gets exactly what she needs. And what is it that she does need? Well, the answer is obvious, right? She needs physical healing. She needs this bleeding to stop. She needs to be well. And that's certainly true, but but that has already happened, and that could have happened anonymously without Jesus ever stopping. He realizes that she needs something more. She needs to know that she is loved by God. She needs to know that she is not an outcast in God's eyes. She needs to know that God has not forgotten her. And so to her trembling admission of of sneaking up and and touching him, he responds by commending her faith. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So this was not some magical act of, of power transferring through Jesus' clothes. This was because she was believing in the power of Jesus. And that is the right thing. If only more people would believe in the power of Jesus. And he tells her, that she is totally healed. This is not a temporary thing that's going to come back then later. She can go in peace. She can be free from suffering. Now, we might not think that this adds much to the healing here. It's it's already a miraculous thing. Jesus has done what no doctor could do. He has healed this woman after a decade of suffering. But, But think about this from the woman's perspective. Jesus takes the time to stop and to turn to her, and to address her, and not just dealing with her, her physical need, but dealing with her, her spiritual need as well. He sends her off with the blessing of God. Be whole, be well, experience God's peace, his shalom, his, his goodness. She, she's not just healed of her physical sickness, she is made totally well. It's a remarkable story. But what about Jairus' daughter? This this whole thing has cost precious time, and and that's what this story was supposed to be about. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's too late. Jesus stopped to heal this woman, but what about the girl? From all appearances, this woman's condition was not life-threatening. And yet... Jesus stops the whole thing. Why didn't he just rush off and and heal the little girl and then come back and address this woman? This little girl's situation has gone from urgent to totally hopeless. It is the end for her. There's simply nothing that can be done. The girl is dead. Verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were com- completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone, not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. And what's interesting here is that Jesus appears to be totally ignoring what we would call reality. He's ignoring the, the facts on the ground, what, what's actual reality. So he hears that the, the girl has died, and he turns to Jairus and tells him not to be afraid, but to believe. How is that possible? The guy's daughter has has just died. And then when they get to the home and they see the the gathered family and friends there crying out in, in mourning and sorrow, he again ignores reality. She's not dead, she's only sleeping. And you can understand why they laugh at him and you wonder if there's a little bit of anger in the laughter. How can he be so insensitive at a time like this? This is reality and he's not dealing with reality. And yet, reality changes suddenly, quietly, in an instant. Hopeless becomes not just hope, but a new reality. The girl is brought to new life. Get this girl some food. She's walking about, restored to her family. It's an amazing story again. So two stories put together here, very simply told, to make a powerful point, Jesus came for the hopeless. So it doesn't get much more hopeless than 12 long years of suffering and only getting worse and worse. And it doesn't get any more hopeless than death. See, this is the good news of Jesus. He came to make the hopeless totally well. He came to bring new life. So the crowd pressing all around him, and he's stopping to bring good news to the one. See, Jesus isn't too busy to engage the people who need him. The needs of the crowd aren't too much to stop him from going and healing this sick girl. And the urgency of going to heal that sick girl is not too much to keep him from stopping and turning and addressing the deep needs of this woman. See, Jesus came for each one, no matter how hopeless they are. These stories show us that that Jesus can address the most hopeless situations in our lives as well. They show us that, that Jesus notices us, that Jesus has time for us, that Jesus can help us. This is incredibly good news for for you and incredibly good news for me. And maybe you're in the middle of a very difficult time in your life right now. Maybe this has been a hard year for you. Maybe you've done everything that you can think of to try to get some kind of relief, some kind of help, something positive in your life, but there's simply nothing to be done. There's no hope here. The gospel shows us that each one matters to God. Jesus gives us a great picture of God's heart. We looked at this this summer. Jesus tells a story. He says, if if a shepherd has a hundred sheep, but one of them gets lost and runs away, that shepherd will leave the 99 and go after that one sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, there is rejoicing. He is so glad because he has got that lost sheep back to himself. And Jesus says that is the heart of God for his people that he has created. Heaven throws a party when one person turns back to God. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we learn that each one matters to God. You matter to God. I matter to God. And it doesn't matter who we are, what our social status is, if we're the most important person in town, like Jairus, or we're a forgotten nobody, like this woman whose name we never even hear. It doesn't matter how hopeless our situation is. Jesus came to give us hope, and we see throughout the Gospels that He is powerful to bring new life to any situation, no matter how hopeless it seems. And maybe you have a hard time believing this, but Jesus knows exactly what you need, and He is powerful to give you exactly what you need. He turns His attention to you. He loves you. He cares for you. He is powerful to save, and this means that we are able to trust Jesus. Let me give you just a concrete way of of building this into your life this Advent season. Uh, If you look at your bulletins, inside there's a a red um, card that looks like this, and it has a verse on the front. You don't have to get it out now, you don't have to look at it now, but I want you to take this home uh, today, and it's got a little devotional on the back, a prayer, and then a verse on the front. I want you to to consider memorizing this verse. This is one of the ways that we build into our hearts the truth of God when we are stuck in the hopelessness of our situations. So it's it's a reminder of you during this Advent season that Jesus cares for you, that he loves you, that he is powerful to give you exactly what it is that you need. We want to give you uh, resources to be able to help you use this Advent season well for your own soul, But this is also a reminder to us that Jesus has given us a mission. So we see this isn't good news just for us. This is good news for our one as well. As a church, we've talked over the past year about our ones, that that one person that God has put on your heart who needs Jesus, that one person that God has put on my heart who needs Jesus. See, as a church, we want to bring good news to our community. And we realize if we're going to do that effectively, it starts at the most personal level. It starts with each and every one of us choosing to live as a missionary to the people that God has put in our lives. So we've committed to praying for our one, to being intentional about building a relationship with them, to telling them the good news about Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or or you're not yet sure what to do with the whole church thing, or what to do with God, you you might hear this and it might seem strange, it might even be a little bit uh, off-putting to you. Am I someone's one? What is this about? I just want to say that our ones aren't kind of our little project or a little good deed or, or a checkbox that we want to be able to mark off. And the truth is that, that we have found life in Jesus. Jesus is the most wonderful thing that has ever happened to us. It has totally transformed every aspect of, of who we are. And, and having experienced life in Christ, we want you to be able to experience the same thing we have experienced. That's the whole heart behind this whole thing what these stories mean is that Jesus cares about your one. He cares about my one. Now, some of you have been praying for decades for your one. Maybe it's a son or a daughter who has run far from God. Maybe it's someone who has had so much pain and and so many hard things in their lives that they simply can't believe that there is a God who is loving and powerful in their lives. And maybe it's that, that lifelong friend who's just never really had time to bother about uh, this Jesus stuff. Their story is not done yet. God cares for that person. He is working actively to bring that person back to himself, and you get to be part of God's work in their life. Their story is not hopeless, no matter how long they have been, you've been praying for them. Their story is not done. Let me have to go back to Sharon's story. Sharon was someone's one my ministry mentor had prayed for her for years and years they had worked together they had built a strong relationship with each other Uh, they worked together to help people with disabilities but sharon was always kind of just religious enough to feel like she was okay with god without being too religious and kind of being quirky or whatever so when sharon had to move into a convalescent center and when she had lost everything when she had this terminal diagnosis my ministry mentor was one of the few people who stuck with Sharon. She made sure that uh, I went and spent uh, time every single week with her so that Sharon was not alone week after week. And of course, as, as an intern, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to bring hope uh, to Sharon. I looked at her situation. I've never experienced anything like that. How, how can I do anything of, of any value for this woman? So, my ministry mentor suggested we do a Bible study together. And I didn't know what else to do, so I said, okay, we'll do that. And I've been studying the book of Colossians. I knew there's a lot of great stuff about Jesus in there. So that's what we did. We would go and we would talk, and I would kind of take her on walks through the, the convalescent center. And then we would sit down and we'd open the book of Colossians in the Bible, and we would just read. And we'd talk about Jesus. And this woman who had lost everything, whose situation was totally helpless came alive there in her wheelchair, unable to care for herself, losing the the functioning of her body. She saw the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. She saw that Jesus came for her, a, a hopeless, forgotten woman. She saw that Jesus was for her, and he totally changed her life. Now, Jesus didn't heal Sharon physically. He certainly could have. We see in in the Gospels that he definitely has the power to heal every single need we have, including needs like a terminal diagnosis. But Jesus gave her exactly what she needed. He gave her peace, and he gave her new life at the very end. And now she's with him. And she gets to experience peace. Peace totally, forever, with God. See, this is why we do what we do. This is why we talk about our ones. This is why we we are pushing hard to be intentional about using our time and our resources as a church and as individuals to bring the good news of Jesus to our community. Because Jesus came for everyone, each and every one in our lives. People in need of healing, Just like we are in need of healing, we want to use this Advent season to be intentional about bringing good news into our community and the people that God has put in our lives. I want to give you three concrete ways that you can do that this season. The first is to pray. Uh, We uh, did these about five uh, months ago, but there are these little uh, business side cards in the display on the opposite side of this wall over here. And what these are is a reminder of how Jesus came for each one. So on the front it says one, on the back it's this verse from Luke 15, 10. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now some of you have done this, many of you are praying for your ones, but maybe you've kind of uh, let it go a little bit, kind of slipped a little bit on this and kind of forgotten about uh, praying intentionally for your one. I want to challenge you to take one of these cards if you haven't, Or renew your commitment to this. Write the name of that person that God has put on your heart and make a commitment to pray for them every single day. Put it in your wallet or put it on your desk or your bedside table. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it regularly as a reminder that God has put this person in your life. He has put them on your heart, and they need Jesus, and you get to be the person who brings them the great news of Jesus. So we start by praying. And the second thing is, the kind of concrete step here, is to commit. Uh, In front of me here is a big uh, row of of red Christmas ornaments. And what these ornaments represent, they're not just a decoration, but they represent people in our community who need Jesus. Next week at the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity to come forward and to take an ornament representing our one and to put it on the tree here. And then throughout the rest of the Advent season, it'll be a, a visible reminder right in front of us every single Sunday that this is what we are about. We are called to bring good news to our ones, and we're committing to do that to the, the person that God has put on our hearts. And then the third concrete thing is to invite. Christmas is a fantastic time to invite people to come to church. Uh, surveys have shown that, that the majority of people in the U.S. still think that people should probably go to church around Christmas time. So uh, no matter what they do with Jesus or God the rest of the year, they tend to feel like Christmas is a great time or is a time where they should come. And if they already are feeling that way, a simple invite from you, their friend, lets them know that they're welcome here. And because they know you, they know that they will not be alone. They will at least know someone there. So again, I want to point out these uh, invite cards that we had made up as well. There's another stack of them in there. You also have them in your bulletin. It's a great, simple way to invite your one to come and to join us and to hear what Jesus is all about and hear how there is great news no matter what their situation in life is. This is such uh, an important time of year for us as a church is to, to refocus our attention and our hearts on Jesus and what he means for us. And then to use that as God is ministering to our hearts and bringing us wholeness and healing and life, then we get to share that experience with others as well so that they too will get to experience the great news of Jesus in their lives. See, this season is great because we get to gather more with friends and family, a lot more chance to interact. It seems like there's always some kind of festivity, always some kind of party, and, and the streets are decorated, people's houses are decorated. There's, there's so much anticipation here. But best of all is the reminder for us as followers of Jesus that there is good news no matter what. See, for some of you, you don't even feel like celebrating this year. It's been a difficult season of life for you. But the good news of Jesus is that even if that is your experience today, you realize that He came for you and He cares about you and He will give you exactly what it is that you need. There is good news for us this morning. Please join me in prayer. God, I thank You for Your Son. I thank You for a season to come and focus our attention on a ch- as a church on the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus for us. We thank you so much for this really unfathomable event that you would send your own son, the one who was with you from the very beginning, the one who is your agent in creation, eternally existing at your side, would come as a helpless baby, would come in every appearance of weakness, and yet at the same time we see through his ministry a power that we've never experienced before. As we spend time with Jesus this Advent, I pray that you would minister to our hearts where healing is needed. I pray that you would heal where hope is needed. I pray that you would bring hope and God be at work in our community as well. Use us as agents to announce the good news of Jesus everywhere we go in every gathering, every opportunity. Give us opportunities and give us courage to use them for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.